The big wireless companies sold you an outdated plan tied to long-term contracts and mystery fees. Simple Mobile's different. You get a lightning-fast 4G LTE nationwide network with no contracts ever. And keep the phone a number you love. Just text the word BYOP to 611611 to see if your phone is compatible. Simple Mobile. Out with the old, in with the simple. Standard text message and data rates may apply based on your mobile phone service. Please refer always to the privacy policy at simplemobile.com slash privacy policy and the terms and conditions at simplemobile.com slash terms and conditions. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this Tuesday edition of Everyday Connection. I am still Rico Shields. And to my left here, we have Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? I am fighting to stay awake. How are you, Rick? Well, I'm not fighting to stay awake, but then again, you know me. <laughs> um, it's not my first cup of coffee. That I'm having. No, I, no doubt. See, but I, I am have having one. Just, just started sipping my coffee, so that would probably be why. Oh, good for you. Wee, I'm up. <laughs> I'm up. Yeah, sleepless nights are just not beneficial to one's, you know, next day energy level. Overall constitution. Mm-hmm. No, not so much. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, it, yeah. it tends to leave you wanting in the whole energetic level, you know, area, but it's okay. Probably in the brain functioning area as well, so I apologize for any faux pas I might. No, I don't. Nah, they just come. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, yeah, I was about to and, say, no. No, no point in apologizing. I just, I just my cruise tonight. I'm tired. I'm dopey. I'm yeah. I'm I frankly some something. of my some of my great faux pas of the quote unquote past have you really turned into providential things now that you know I look back on them. But we have great faux pas of the past. I have, well, I mean, great faux pas of I, the past. I have so many. That at the time were considered, you know, a few that are still considered, you know, quite, wow, that really, was that necessary? But apparently it was because, you know, or at least it was my first choice because it happened. So that's the tough part when it's not good in your eyes and and realizing that whatever it is must be your first choice because otherwise this powerful of a creator wouldn't be experiencing it. And that we all exactly the same. So in that respect, anyway, powerful creator bit. <laughs> um, fortunately, we're not all exactly the same in other ways, you know. I mean, goodness, can you imagine us all, you know, running around looking like me? Oprah? <laughs> Something? The entire world looked like Oprah. Yeah, well, how that would you ever be... find? How would you ever find your party at the restaurant? You know, well, I'm meeting. Be so bored. I'm meeting somebody. Let me go see. 
life would be boring. Is so, we we all thought the same, we all did the same, we all looked the same, we all ah. Bleh. Yeah, I don't I don't think any of us would stay what, for about a week. We'd be out of what here. What would be the point? Like I don't even ew. Planet covered with. I have a hard time dealing with family members who are anything similar to me. Planet covered with uh, plants, but all the same. Oh, one kind wow. of fish, one kind of bird. Okay. So, uh, for those that may not have guessed, <laughs> speaking of guessed, <laughs> guessed, okay. that's one of those words, yes. I guess. Um, I guess it is. Our uh, our guest was uh, taken ill again. Two shows in a row. Uh, apparently, we're experiencing the. Uh, long predicted and awaited three shows of darkness. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so it's just uh, Gene and I at the moment. Everybody is welcome to call in with, uh, you know, whatever you got. Sh- uh, short speeches, long speeches, announcements, pitches, plugs, jokes. Uh, Poem. Come on, they can't Poem. be any worse than mine. But, you know, other than that, it just, uh, Jane and I are going to a, a, a attempt to answer the question. If Apple made a car, would it have windows? What happened? The button didn't work. Wow. Do you have any idea how long it took me to get it? <laughs> That's why your button didn't work, because I was still trying to figure the stupid thing out. <laughs> Preview. Yeah. Did she say preview at the end of that? She's not supposed to. I don't know how. Yeah, what did, how did that happen? Uh, Somebody's secret that's weapon. Funny. That's so funny. Yes. Well, you know. That's wow. I am tired that I find that funny. I must and be. and that it took you that long <laughs> to get it. You're usually pretty. You know. I think like, of course it would. Apple's a really good company like they're not morons they unless it was all digital i'm running it through my head like would you need windows if it was a computerized car there'd be cameras you wouldn't really need windows and i was like oh the windows apple ha wow yeah yeah well if any any uh, sleeping for me tonight on how I can go dodos and actually sleep through the night, you can call those in. Yeah, we'll take all of those I'm willing to... sleeping committee <laughs> um, concoctions. If she's got the ingredients, she'll be on it. Um, yeah, no chemicals, please. No, we don't do that if we can help it. We don't do we don't do sleeping aids at my house, which is probably why I'm drinking coffee at eight o'clock at night to do a show and. Um, <laughs> Not getting jokes. Yes, well, you know, it's all right. You know, uh, look, it could happen to almost anybody. Mitt Romney wondered aloud to a bunch of reporters after hearing about uh, his wife's plane being grounded as there was smoke inside that he wondered why it was that these private jets didn't have windows that rolled down. My daughter... That my my daughter told okay my fifteen year old daughter told me that that was well before the election and oh, yeah. um and I 
for about a day, couldn't quite wrap my hand around it. I was in total denial of the fact that anybody who could get so high up as to be an actual legitimate candidate for the presidency of the United States could be so daft as to make such a incredibly moronic, mindless statement as to why don't the windows in the plane open. When, but, when responding to the press about your wife's private plane having just been grounded, and, you know, if I was the reporter, I probably would have just tagged right on the end of the article there that now we know a likely cause of her plane being grounded. Just somebody left one of the windows down or something. I, I there would have been. I mean, I, I. But you know, it, 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 we don't want to just. We don't want to just pick on the, on the Republicans. But, so, I mean, it, it, it. I mean, maybe he was having a bad day. Maybe. Well, and they run. Maybe, the, they run like ninety or, to nothing and three states <laughs> in a day, and you know. Probably pretty tired. And probably you, tired. You, you can see. Pretty silly things when you're tired because your brain. I mean, that's definitely one of the first things that that uh, I can tell when I'm tired is that my brain just stops yeah. functioning properly. It, I just can't articulate. Right. I mean, my mind is telling my mouth to say certain things, and it just doesn't want it. It's like the connection fizzles. Like my body says, no, we're not expending any energy to. Um, yeah, we don't have enough left over for that right now. That was so, that was so <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I, I wish my mouth would do that sometimes, but. Um, no, there's always good stuff going on. We've always got stuff we can talk about, people. But uh, we really do. One of the big reasons we do this show is we love to hear what other people have to say. Um. Even though most of the time now, or an awful lot of the time now, I don't know what I'm going to say till it comes out of my mouth. So, I guess that could be interesting. But uh, well, let's see. Let's try to do good news. Because um, you know, my idea of good news apparently doesn't come across to everybody as good news. So, you know, because I see a crisis situation and then I see somebody do something good in the middle of it, and and um, and and uh, so I call that good news, but um, I guess it just depends on which catches people's attention first. But I did notice uh, yesterday, I guess, that uh, the Gates Foundation, and we've talked before, there are some things the Gates Foundation supports that uh, Gene and I are not too sure about, but... Um, they're going to take uh, these online courses that have been set up by, like, Harvard and MIT and um, have course plans where that can be blended together within, you know, in the classroom learning and make it available to um, a bunch of uh, community colleges um, that would not otherwise be able to afford it and perhaps not otherwise be able to teach some of those courses. So um, I thought that was very cool. I find this whole open access university thing is like a lot of the other open access stuff going on on the uh, on the internet. 
and everybody's, you know, surely someone will jump up and down and say, well, what about the poor universities? They're all going to go out of business because they won't have any money because nobody will enroll. Uh, apparently, it's not slowing people down much. You know, it's just like the mu- music piracy online, and you know, then you see that Sony and all these are making, you know, however many billions of dollars. Uh, you know, it obviously damaged them just severely. Um, well, I think I think part of that is that I I'm actually going to say from experience, had I had the opportunity when I went to college to do my education via the internet, I would not have chosen to do so because the actual experience of going to college or university is a freaking blast. I mean, you want a life-altering experience. Go live on residence for a year. Well, yeah. You know, just really. You will learn so much about yourself. No, there's nothing quite. I I told my daughter, we were talking about education and her choices, and, you know, like I said, you take a year off and tour Europe. You can go to university. I don't. It's your future. you got to decide what you're going to do. But keep in mind that you might want to go to college simply for the experience of going to college, which is not to say don't go and totally blow all your courses because then you get thrown out and there's no point in having gone in the first place because if you're going to do the experience, you might as well do it properly. But, yeah, there's nothing quite like it. So I think that people realize that there's this massive opportunity to learn about communal living and and to learn about yourself and to learn how well you can function under pressure and and to learn, you know, one of the fundamental basics of North American living, which is to work hard and play hard all within a 24-hour period. You can't learn yeah. that anywhere better than you can at university or college. Um, yeah, I think everybody, but I have to say, even, even if they want to do something that doesn't require a university education, that, that freshman year can just wow absolutely and as far as this you know anytime you get offered free education or reduced rate education and if for middle-aged people especially because you've seen a lot of it now uh, it's not even about a midlife crisis it's more like a 2012 life crisis um, where people are just waking up in the middle of their careers and going Oh, hell no, I don't want to do this for 20 years. Um, And they they have to go back to school. But a lot of those people are also supporting families. And, you know, I'd say a good 50% of them are working moms. So this is an opportunity for adults who've already gone and done the college-university experience and who went into a career and who are finding now that their career isn't quite what they want it to be. Now they can go and get an online education that can help them to shift their career into something that's more in alignment with, you know, what they want to do with the rest of their life and and not suffer for it and ha- not have their family suffer for it. So it's it's fantastic. I I think that and yeah. and and you know, now this initiative that uh, the Gates Foundation is I, I imagine they're probably uh covering things like high-speed Internet connections and computers, and, you know, Bill Gates is fond of those things, boxes, computer things. Uh, But 
so that community colleges in in underserved, uh, underfunded areas um, can blend the two, so that you know students are still coming. There, there's a there's a teacher that can explain things, answers questions, you know, and not every class would be an online lecture, but um, you know how else are you going to be able to be at Nome, Alaska, and attend a Harvard lecture by a, uh, a world-renowned lecturer. It, it, I think it's a cool, and, and I hadn't really thought about it. It was to me, it was always there was the you could go to school, and there was the online thing, and um, where would the two meet? But this is this is very cool to me. I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome because it gives people an opportunity to to get good quality education but to do it again without having to give up the things that they need to do in order to provide for their families or to provide for themselves for single people who are just trying to you know just trying to build their future it's a freaking college or, and university is an expensive adventure or you know a successful plumber that has suddenly discovered an interest in classic literature or something, you know? And how do you determine, you know, do you do you close your plumbing business and go to college only to determine that, oh, wow, I was wrong. I don't want to be a literature major. Well, you go down to the neighborhood, you know, the, the community college for your area and take a course. And now you can take a course with world-renowned lecturers put together with folks from your hometown or home area so that it 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 to me makes a bigger bridge i think a wider bridge uh for for so many different purposes you know so many different ways that folks would want to do that and and of course the uh, online it, only for for you know you, look you, i'm so busy i don't look at da, da, da. but you watch the bachelor every night or whatever hey take one of those nights a week, one hour, and something that you've always wished you knew something about. I don't. I know so many adults my age that say, "I wish I'd have paid more attention in history." And I'm not saying that's necessarily even a good idea. But, but if you've got that tug of interest, it's probably going to go somewhere. They all do. And, uh, uh, you know. I think having a tug of interest in what what is world history or classical classical literature about is probably a more fun one to follow than I wonder what it's like to ride in the back of an ambulance. You know that sometimes requires drama. <laughs> I'll take my drama in in a Shakespeare play, please. <clears throat> put the put, put the drama over there, but. Um, no, very awesome, very awesome stuff going on, and and but that's one of them that I've because I you know the kids, they, <laughs> I I don't want the kids to have to study algebra or any of those other things if they don't if that's not related to their interests at the moment, but I also don't want them to not be able to learn something about poetry or something else just because they're in high school and the you know. Or in college, the the head of our English department at my college did not speak English as primary language, and in fact was extraordinarily hard to understand. 
Um, he was a PhD, apparently, you know, very talented fellow. And I'm not saying otherwise, but, you know, I sat one day in his class and I couldn't even understand what he was saying. You know. And like, he was professor of what? English. He was the head of the English department at the college. Who didn't speak English? Dr. Tran. And... um how did that oh, happen? Spoke English, but, you know, and apparently wrote well, but I couldn't understand half of the English that came out of his mouth. It was very heavily accented and and and, um, and sometimes structured strangely. I think when he wrote, he had time to go back and make sure, you know, I don't know. It just, I couldn't do it. I just, ah. <clears throat> And it's a shame because, you know, I I heard from enough people to believe it that he was quite good at teaching people how to write. But, again, that seems odd. But maybe because mm-hmm. he had to learn how to write in English. I don't know. Anyway. It, it does seem odd, but, I mean, there it is. That's, you know, that crazy education system we got going on. They They have some very weird... There's some odd things they do. Y- yeah. Yeah, they really do. Which would, you know, all this talk about these two things and things, it reminds me of these Occupy people. Never wonder what happened to these Occupy people. They kind of, you know, foof. They didn't foof. They didn't foof. They just kind of they they blended right back into their lives. And, and then we had this Sandy thing. I don't know whether to call it a hurricane or a superstorm or a combination of a nor'easter and a super supra tropical cyclone or yeah yeah sandy big storm um seems the occupied okay. people were like hey in the days leading up to the storm we've got this big organization and this communication network that we managed to keep working when people didn't want it to work and <laughs> Surely, Mother Nature can't be any worse than that. And so, as soon as the wind started to die down, Occupy hit the streets and have been distributing food and clothing and providing, uh, I can't say counseling, I'm sure, because they're probably not licensed, but they've been listening to people and talking to them uh, and hugging them and that sort of thing. And, in fact, I there's a nice article from the BBC here about it. Uh, BBC called it Occupy's Second Act, From Protest Group to Storm Recovery. Um, I actually saw a photograph where a – it looked like one of these rental trucks, like a you know, U-Haul or a rider truck or something, one of these rental trucks. Um, and they were serving food out of the back of it. And um, they were just driving around until they saw people that, you know, were hungry, and they stopped and fed them and took off and kept going. And um, they were feeding a FEMA team because the FEMA team didn't have any other way to eat. Wow. I thought that was grand. You know, federal agents relying on the Occupy movement to eat. Wow. Wow. That could change one's perspective a little bit as to who certain people are. 
I always found breaking bread together to be one of those things that, you know. Well, I think. No, I know that. Um, Particularly, you know, when you're a female was, in the field, you got a few Twinkies. That's it, and here comes somebody with a hot meal. There was a great deal of um, a great deal of intelligence behind the Occupy movement, and. I think that if, if there was anger directed at the Occupy people, um, it was mostly for inconveniences. And I think that people had this misconception, some people, I'm not going to say everybody, had this m- misconception that these were just simply selfish people who didn't really care whose life they interrupted. They were, you Lazy. know... Had lazy bums, had to get it out. Lazy bums that won't get off their rear end and get a job. <clears throat> well, you see, like these, these lazy bums managed to coordinate a worldwide network that they're still in communication, and I, it's fascinating to me that they no. I mean, I expected it. And I'm just really glad that they were, it sucks that they it had to be a storm like that that caused so much damage, but I'm glad that they were able to come out and do something that would maybe open people's eyes as to what the base core of these people was. And that was, you know, they they really just didn't want to deal with the injustice anymore, and they had to, you know, put put their foot down. And I think that's... And everybody... But they wanted to do it in a peaceful, loving way, and that was the... That was was the way. The backbone of the Occupy movement. And it is the way prescribed in our Constitution, at least here. Right. So, I mean, if 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 you can manage to coordinate... A massive worldwide protest with minimal um, minimal casualties, which is what they did. I mean, really, when you consider the actual number of people involved in the protests around the world during the Occupy, I don't know what you want to call it, the Occupy movement, okay, um, I told you guys I'm tired today. To for lack of with a better me. name, yeah. For lack of a better word. Um, when you consider the, the numbers involved, they, I mean, we're talking millions of people that were protesting in how many different countries around the world, and the casualties and the arrests were actually very, very low percentage-wise. Tiny. They seemed um, big on the news because they wanted it to seem big. Big on the news, but if you if you if you were to crunch the numbers, really sit down and crunch the numbers, um, you would realize that they really did pull off a miracle. And the only way to do that is to do it with loving your hearts and from a place of compassion and understanding for those who don't understand why you're doing it. So that same compassion and understanding, not to mention the intelligence that was behind this, because, I mean, you've got to remember, they, like you said, they managed to keep their 
fine, sorry. My animals are crazy. They managed okay. to keep their communications up even when the government had decided in multiple places that that just wasn't going to happen. So, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised. And I think that they'll do it again and again and again and again. And I think that they're going to be and continue to be way showers. They have been way showers, and they're going to continue to be way showers. Yeah. And I love the fact that they fed FEMA. I love it. I love the fact oh, that they fed And that they were in, in so many communities feeding people and and doing what they could with what supplies they had in communities where the storm had been over with for five days and still nobody had seen the Red Cross. or But Occupy was in there, you know, and um, because the thing of it is, Occupy's they us, care about you know. the, Well, that's just it. They care about their planet. They care about the people that they, they, they share it with. And, and they don't give a crap. As to whether you're black or white or Republican or Democrat, they just don't care. Yeah, or whether you're, you're supposed to have a permit to feed people on a public street or any of that kind of, look, people are hungry, we're going to feed them. They did that here in Houston. Them. They tried to stop uh, groups from feeding the homeless because, you know, at public squares and public parks and that sort of thing, that people just set up tables and feed the homeless one night, you know, and and – uh, the city council tried to stop it because, you know, it was encouraging the homeless. And what kind of society do we live in that we have bylaws that disallow generosity and compassion? Listen, if you're going to sell food for profit, I'm look, you, you better be doing what you're doing right and cleaning your stuff. And, you know, but there was like, we're just doing this for health reasons, you know, that we don't know whether this stuff's clean. We don't know. These people are eating out of dumpsters. And we're not sure if the food that some woman cooked in her own home and brought down there on a cold, rainy night is going to be safe for them. So what are you going to start like saying? It I makes can't no give, sense. Can't give jackets. If I see a, a a child on the street who's wearing a sweater in the middle of a snowstorm, I can't give them the jacket just in case maybe I have lice. Oh yeah, and you might encourage them, you know, to not work. How ridiculous does it have to get when the government, any government, I don't care what country you're from, when any government would tolerate and accept laws that block acts of compassion for your fellow man, you need to stand up against that. You you really do, because you can't... What are they telling you? That you can't... You can't love, basically. You can't love unconditionally. It's not allowed. There has to be conditions on it. We'll have none of that. They didn't pay for that. We have to know where, where the food came from. We have to know how it was prepared. We have to know, you know, who you are. We have to know how many people are, are eating. They, they want to, you know, that that's why they want them going to the shelter, so that they can count the heads and blah, 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 and do their census and yada, yada, yada. And, and then they can well, get more tax- taxpayer tax- funds to support their homeless programs, which aren't working, let's face it. Sorry. No offense folks in government, but it ain't working. If they were working, women would not be compelled to go out to a park in their spare time and feed people 
the food that they had prepared in their home. Yeah. Yeah. It just, you know, they're not little old cat ladies that are bored. And this is not this is not the only incident of this. I know when I was working um when I was working buffet, um they told me that not so many years ago buffet restaurants were allowed to give whatever leftovers were available at the end of the day. They were allowed to give them to soup kitchens or whatever or to homeless or or whatever. But then the food and safety laws came in and now you can't do that because you could give somebody salmonella. Yeah, we can't ensure that it will be held at the proper temperature. I'm sure that that person wouldn't get salmonella by going and digging in the garbage. Right, right. This is my point, is there is a place for food sanitation. I'm, you know, look, big industrial kitchens, somebody needs to be looking over their shoulder. But if we had a few less big industrial kitchens and a few more little neighborhood kitchens, maybe we wouldn't have those problems of... One, you know, chicken was sick, and it contaminated the machinery, which then contaminated, you know, food for 50,000 people. Usually, you get a bad chicken, you know, a family of four or five is the most you're going to get sick. That's it. And I I don't know about you, but a lot of these these little home-run places, um, because it's... Sure, the one in in Houston wasn't the only one because I, I've seen news um, news articles on this before, and it it occurred to me that a lot of these people running them are, are elderly or late life, not even you know elderly but late life, and I don't know about you or your recollections of childhood, but I never ate anything from my grandmother's kitchen that made me sick. No. Not once. No. Did that woman ever poison? I almost never even heard about food poisoning happening anywhere. Once in a great blue moon, it might happen somewhere, and it usually involved oysters, which was like about the only thing anybody ate raw. Sushi wasn't a hit yet in the U.S. at the time, so everything was cooked. And um, you just people just didn't, you know... People were sick that were cooks and servers. They just didn't go to work because they were sick. And their boss would go, oh, man, go, go get in bed because they were concerned about the person. Not a food regulation. A food regulation is not probably going to stop a boss that demands everybody work because he doesn't have any extra time on his hands to maybe wait on the table, you know, and – but anyway, we don't. It, this is not coffee with source. We we're trying to do, we were trying to do good news, but they occupy people going and doing their thing, and well, and, I, and and it's good to go do, do good news. But every once in a while, it's not a bad thing to point out well, those ridiculous idiosyncrasies that society is still suffering from. And so increased awareness. Increased awareness just means increased awareness. <laughs> Nobody ever said that in the increased awareness of ascension or evolution or whatever was just going to be good stuff. And you'd and never again notice something bad. Just because something's not um, working the way you think it should work doesn't mean you have to hate that thing or the people who are responsible for it. 
work in a positive way to change it. But, you know, I mean, I, I think just that, where the situation doesn't mean it has to make you angry. I think it can the make problem you with so many of these things is their detachment. And, you know, it, 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 it the Occupy movement, well, nobody's really, really in charge. There's different groups that do guidelines for different things, but nobody has to follow them necessarily. And, 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 and they're locally based, so they know... Okay, if we park a truck with a, full of food in my buddy's mechanic shop, it's like up on the hill over there. And it's a metal building that was made during World War II, so it's tough like a battle tank. Let's just put some trucks in there. And, you know, they know where, the, instead of the Red Cross moves everybody to Pennsylvania because they want them way out of the way so that they won't get damaged, so they can go in and help everybody. But turns out the storm was bigger than everybody thought, so Pennsylvania had a rough time too, so Pennsylvania wouldn't let the trucks go to New York. They made them stay in Pennsylvania until everybody in Pennsylvania was okay. And um, if you were using people that are local to New York and local to Pennsylvania, you don't have that problem, you know? And And, you know, you tell the... Guys on on Staten Island or the guys that are go, headed over to Staten Island from Jersey or wherever they're coming from, upstate in New York a little bit, and you tell them you can't go to Staten Island, we need you more in Pennsylvania. They'll go like, what? What are you are you talking to me? You. You talking to me? Because you know, they, they got friends on Staten Island. They're going to feed people, but they're going to check on their friends too, you know. And... um. It is I, I I am not for a moment saying that we need to, you know, destroy large collections of people like cities and, and, and move everybody into tiny little rural communities. However, that sense of shared, you know, tiny little rural community out in some frontier town, they know ain't nobody coming to help. They always knew that no one was coming to help. So Storm's coming, something's happening, they all gathered together somewhere. You know, in the movies, it's always the church. In, in, in real life, it was always whoever had the toughest building. And, uh, or Which barn, was usually or the cellar. church. Yeah, it usually was, because that was the gathering place for everything, not just going and to church. And that was the, the building that the most money usually went into to build, and but, the most... If it was Most hands, Brown's barn or or somebody's cellar, that's where everybody was at, and the pastor was over there with them. You know, I mean, it 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 was more about where can we all be safe so that we can help each other get through this than it was about it's a church or an anything else. And um, uh, just a little bit more of that, folks. You know, neighbor drops you know her groceries, pick them up. That's all. <laughs> Hurricane Sandy comes along and blows her groceries out of her hands. Pick them up. Give her a bag if you've got an extra bag. Like I said, the second post, first post out of Stacy Kirchival up in New Jersey after eight days with no electricity was, woohoo, we got electricity and we even got internet. Second post was, we got lots of blankets and lots of food and, and, and a few other things. Who needs what? And started coordinating. Not just their own stuff, but somebody would say they needed something. Stacy didn't have it. She found somebody did, you know? And that's what we do when things, you know, when the 
shift hits the fan, so to speak. Anyway, uh, Bond, James Bond. Uh, those who follow the Hollywood industry will know that uh, Skyfall has recently been released. It's the latest Bond movie with the latest Bond, Daniel Craig. And, yes, it's the demon's favorite one. You know, the big Hollywood stars, you know, UK fellow who went off to Hollywood and he's famous and rich now, so he don't care about nobody. Them rich people, if you got money, that means you're an ass, right? Not necessarily. Doesn't have to anyway. Because Daniel decided that he would find out, and I'm sure it took a little doing, but he found out when the movie was going to premiere to the uh, U.K. troops stationed in Afghanistan. And he went for the premiere (laughs) in Afghanistan. That's so cool. That's awesome. And, yes, it's, you know, they didn't show it at the... front fire base. They showed it at a more secure base, I'm sure, and he's wearing a bulletproof vest. Come, people, Hollywood star, no need to be going into a war zone. Really. Um, well, I think that, like I said, t- times they are changing, and if you look at if you look at some of the biggest name stars of our time, um, if, you, if you can't see the amazing acts of compassion and um, the abundance of giving that has just taken place over the last couple of years, and you're freaking blind. I mean, two of the biggest name women in the States today have given millions of dollars away and coordinated millions more in fundraising efforts through their work and yes, damn it, one of them's a lesbian. Um, and the other one's proud- black. And the other one's black. And, you know, I mean, and just those you know, two got no right. Yeah, and they're lazy to boot. Um, <laughs> those, well, I mean, come on. Let's, no, I know, let's run I know, with I this. Know. I just... If you're going to, okay, she's black, she's got to be uneducated. She's got to be selfish. She's fat, so that means she's got to be lazy. And she's also happens to be responsible for saving the lives and changing the lives and uplifting the spirits of we got to be in, in close close to a few hundred. Now, I'm going to say we've we got to be in the millions now of people because not just the people that she touches directly, which have got to be in the multitude of hundreds of thousands, through her fundraising efforts and her gift giving and, and her just schools incredible. in South Africa and just, yeah, she's insane. You know, I mean, but the the millions of people who have been inspired to act after watching her action. So, I mean, we're talking this woman, black and overweight, has altered the lives of millions of people simply by following her heart because that's what she did. And the other one. Ellen, yeah, that's right, the, the lesbian, um, stood on her truth and has freed, through that action, countless people. Not just the youth who are struggling with their identity and their sexuality, 
but the multitude of men and women out there who have lived their lives believing that they had to be something that they were not simply in order to please a society that in all honesty is completely confused about what's best for mankind in general. So much I mean of it's they, it's, slap backwards, really. And that two of them, that's only two. Now, I mean, and that's the two biggest. But then there's Brad and Angelina who uh, you can't count the good those two have done. I mean, they have organizations that I don't even you can't you can't count them. Their affiliations, their organizations, their environmental causes, their you know feed the hungry causes, their adopt the pets, feed every, the pets for people. Um, yeah, busy. Bob Barker, come on. <laughs> Bob Barker is like the 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 pet master of what for I don't know fifty years running. Um, don't forget to spay and neuter your pets. That's right. So, and, and oh, who was it that flew his jet to Haiti and full of food and clothing and supplies? Got it turned around, but flew his jet there anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, can't, I can't. I can't remember, remember who that now, was. But... If you want it, if you want it, I mean. Okay, so those are the actors and the TV people. That's great. But what about the musicians? Um, well, uh, what's the name of the band? Oh, sure. Maybe we my. should play some music while you think about it. I don't know. We can do that because there is a great story of a band that might surprise people um, that actually went on a tour of third world countries and um, documented the journey and ended up starting a whole bunch of schools and, and Playing stuff. For change? No, 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 no. This Although is a well known. Cool. This is a well known band. Well, and then there's that, uh, U2 and Bono. He's, you know, done a thing or two. Yes. Yes. Everybody knows about U2 and Bono. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Really? I, I thought that everybody knew about him. I really did. Um, but, no, I'm looking it up now because, of course, I have their songs on my... Um, i just having an I'm tired brain fart yeah, right at the moment. Yeah, having one of those moments. So, <laughs> um, told- oh, look. Ding dong. What? Oh, it didn't go over well. Okay. But uh, we can do um, some Aquarius uh, or some Earth Prayer or some Peace Prayer. Um, or Jordan. or We can do whatever you whatever you think's good. There's Red Hot Chili Peppers. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Well, and how about John Bon Jovi? He's got a restaurant up in Red Hook, New Jersey. And you get to come eat, and it's pretty whoopee fair. A lot of it's grown in their own gardens, and you know. And um, if you can afford to pay, you can pay. If you want to pay more, you can pay more, and you're feeding your neighbor. And if you can't pay, you can volunteer for an hour and get your meal covered. Um, so, you know, I don't have any money. 
You can barely feed Thank- your family, but, you know, you'd like to take your wife to dinner because she's beautiful. So you go, go to, and you volunteer for an place. hour? Go to Bon Jovi's place. You know, volunteer for two hours. You and your wife are covered. You come in, get all gussied up, you know, have somebody serve you, four-course meal. You know. See, that's freaking awesome. That's genius, actually. And like now, I know Pink has after- organizations too. Ozzy Osbourne is a huge advocate. Um I just, the list goes on and on and on. So nobody will ever be able to convince me that just because you're rich and famous also means you're selfish. And and I suppose one reason we're talking about him, I mean, my father's a more traditional, you know, corporate sort. He was very different than many of them I see in the news today. But, you know, um, but a lot of his giving goes through traditional channels, you know. And uh, now he's, you know, tried to stay up some on, you know, who's well-rated, I'm sure. And uh, and, and it, later in his life, he's done more things directly, but he's done so many of them through just giving money to the church or the Red Cross. or the And, and I, I fault no one for doing those things. Um, but, you know, as we saw with Sandy, some of these... 150-year-old organizations that were so talented when they started because they had little local folks all over the place have become big, centrally controlled things. And they're controlled by somebody in a high-rise office tower in a, somewhere that didn't have any problem with the storms. And so they don't get it. You can't get it. The closest I can get to getting it is that I've been through a hurricane down here, you know, and um, and eight days with no electricity and stuff. So you know, I can say that, but it it. I just believe that you you organizations can become large enough that they can no longer be responsive, and no longer fill the purpose that they started out because they've lost their perspective, and. Uh, you know, perspective. Not to mention the the ridiculous amounts of red tape that they have to go through in order to get anything anywhere. Yeah. Why well, do you want to move that I, truck from Central Park over to uh, 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 Staten Island because there's hungry people over there? Well, we'll need a form 3725-stroke-4 and an approval from three area supervisors and a nominee. Please, people, you know. Whereas his grandma next door is just going to throw some shit in her car and she's going to drive on over there and feed whoever she has to find. So, and I think that that, I think that that really brings to mind the point that, you know, early on, and this is early on in this journey that I've been taking, um, starting with my trip to the Philippines, and how do I take what I learned over there from those incredible people and integrate that into my life and then give back to this, you know, amazing planet that I'm living on. How do I do that? And one of the things that I was told often in my first two years was, well, if you're not affiliated with a big organization, you really can't make a big difference. And I think that that mentality is really gone by the wayside. I certainly haven't heard anybody say that. In the last year, um, I don't know, maybe they're just scared to say it to me now because <laughs> I'll tell them where to stick it. But 
I don't think that that's the truth in today's reality. I really don't. I think that that is an yesterday yesterday mentality, an old more and world more, mentality. And and it's one of the good newses that I see in crises. More and more, one of these crises hits, and people sit up the next morning. They they pull their head out from their basement or wherever they've hidden from the storm, rightfully so, and they look around and they go, wow, house is dry, all this was a, oh, wow, Bob down there, never really met Bob, but I, I think that's his name, Bob, anybody's roof's gone, let me go, let's go get him and bring him over here where it's dry, sometimes even if nothing else, to let them take a shower and get warm, you know, and, and, and send them on their way, it just... People just are getting it that you look up and you go, oh, I've got, it's that gift economy that Charles Eisenstein talks about. Um, you know, people in the South Pacific Islands, there was this gift economy. It wasn't so much that it was a gift economy. It was, you know, I've got two pots of porridge and you got no pots of porridge. Oh, well, here, have one of mine. And people go, well, gosh, what's he going to eat tomorrow? Well, figure that out tomorrow. Maybe the other guy will have two pots of something and share with me. But if I'm over here with, you know, my head down in my nook, my book or my newspaper, and I'm not going to look at anybody, I'm not going to think about anybody, and I'm not saying that everybody that comes around, you know, collecting for stuff is, but you don't got to worry about that if you just get up and go, what can I do right here where I am today? And... Yeah, I mean, it cuts out all the bullshit. It cuts out all the wondering where your buck is going. It cuts out all the wondering who's making profit off your donations. It cuts that all out of your considerations. And there really is truly no better feeling than being able to shake the hand or look into the eyes of somebody that you've been able to help, even if it's for five minutes. When you know that you've made a difference in their life, whether you've saved their life or you've given them a hot drink on a really cold day because their car got slid into the ditch outside of your house. You let them, you know, down the road from your house, you let them use your phone and you gave them a hot drink while they were waiting for the tow truck. That that feeling of... I think it was last winter. I did winter. something good. Is... No, because I was still living at the house, so it must have been a couple of years ago, but... Um, it turned cold out of nowhere a little bit early and I was driving home from somewhere and I saw these cats up underneath the, it was like a big freeway bridge, you know, big highway bridge thing. And, and, and where the concrete embankment met the lanes of traffic, they were up in there trying to get out of the wind because they didn't have jackets. And I had recently lost a bunch of weight. And I went home and I grabbed all the jackets I had that didn't fit me anymore and drove right back over there together with some of those little tuna salad kit things they have at the grocery store. Their faces must have just been priceless. They must have and, not known what to do with that. And, you know, I whooped up in there and, and somebody had the gall to honk at me. And it was in a U-turn lane and there was enough room in that U-turn lane for them to get around me. Now, I about come out of the car, but I didn't do it. 
And but those guys, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's those little you know kits where you open the tuna and the open the relish and mayonnaise and you mix it together and um you know did 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 I take care of them forever? I don't know, but they weren't cold that night, and they weren't hungry for at least a few hours. And I'm going to trust the rest of my fellow human beings and brothers and sisters to see to the hours after that. You know, I mean, you just, that's all you can do. And, um, but I knew I had what I didn't need and they needed it. So I gave it to them. And like you said, I don't, well, I wonder how much marketing money they they spent out of that twenty dollar jacket that you donated. Are you kidding me? The I don't guy, think that the guy's teeth were practically chattering. He put the son of a gun on while I was there. Okay, and I didn't. I don't think that there's really a drug or an alcohol or you know a prescription medication that can quite give you that high of. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, yeah. and and I mean, really, one of, his, one of his big talks. It, they've actually done a study. Whatever it is you're trying to support, people take a look on the internet. There's a study somewhere that supports it. I'm sure, but <laughs> but um, I have some faith in Wayne Dyer, so I'll take his words on on that he's you know aware of a study that was done and. And, and I'd believe it. There's been a lot of studies done about serotonin lately. Um, and anyway, but people doing a random act of kindness, just, you know, opening a door for somebody, whatever, random act of kindness, it raises their serotonin level. And sure enough, as the, as the um, researchers expected, it also raises the serotonin level of the person that receives this random act of kindness. But what they didn't expect is that anybody that even so much as witnesses it, it raises their serotonin level too. So you're in you're in a school hallway and somebody knocks somebody's books or they just drop them and you help them pick up their books and papers so they can make it to class on time. You've raised your serotonin level, you've raised their serotonin level, and everybody that saw it, even if they're laughing at you, you've raised their serotonin level and you've made them a tiny bit happier. That's all these drugs they've given the those, workers to keep them working is yeah. to raise their serotonin level because, well, they're not happy. They should be happy workers. Okay, well, And that's exactly people. the effect, although it's not the actual action of, but it's the... Uh, it, it feels the same that the other drugs do. I'm not going to say that alcohol raises your serotonin levels. It certainly doesn't. But it gives you that same blissful, not worried about anything because I feel good kind of feeling. And, you know, if I know there's a lot of people out there that are are adrenaline junkies. Um, You you know, you want to you want to rush. Go work in a soup kitchen for an afternoon. Seriously. Yeah. And uh, um, seriously, it, it it sounds so benign and you know such a calm environment to be in, I suppose. But the emotional ups and downs of that experience 
will give you probably as big a rush as, I, I don't know, skiing down a hill in the dark. I don't know, but it's pretty it's pretty cool, and it's it's hard to get any other place without it having some weird side effects. When we try to artificially do what mm-hmm. the body does naturally, if we just eat right and and behave, it 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 it, it always seems to come with a not quite rightness about it, and um, uh, and then you get into things like you know. You eat the wrong thing or take an herbal concoction that a friend of yours is just trying to help you with and it reacts with your medication and you have a serotonin overload. And ah! But anyway, um, we're going to have to play a song because... We, yeah, we just rambled on for now. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, we can do that pretty easily, you and I. Okay, little earth prayer and then we'll come back and so wonder that, wrap you know, up, I guess. Radio hosts prone to talking. I don't, I don't know. Really? <laughs> this is our dear friend Ina V. Saving us from Rick's jokes with Earth Prayer. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us.
calendar of the east and the sun. In the north, the shining elder, and the south, our mother's womb. To those above and below us, to the seen and unseen, those who have walked before and after, we ask your assistance to live simply. Please forgive us, for we know not what we do, and we thank you for all your help us. Our dear friend Ina V. Yes. Sudden in breath. So, <laughs> well, I I just had um just had a thought. I've thought of something for them to do a study on because I'd really like an answer. Uh oh. Okay. Why is it coffee works better at night? Think about all those days that you dragged your ass into work because you were freaking tired. You had two, three cups of coffee, and you got home, and you were still dragging your ass. But if you have a coffee at like eight or nine at night, boom, I'm up. All right, what are we doing? What is that about? Why does that that work that way? Why does that work that way? Is it psychosomatic? I'm curious. I think it it probably is partly psychosomatic um i think it i think it probably is somewhat similar to how difficult it is to get up at 5:30 in the morning to make it to that job and how easy it is to get up at 5:30 in the morning on saturday morning to make it to disney world or hunting or fishing or dancing or whatever it is that's you know or to catch your plane to your vacation your fire yeah yeah, I'm, people never have any trouble with that. In fact, sometimes they don't sleep the whole night before, and then they are still just bouncing around with energy all day on the plane and, you know. Yeah, I'm telling you, I hardly it's slept so, when I went to the Philippines. Hardly slept at all. It's it's all a point of view and how how the energy is flowing and how, how well, let me say, how much of the energy you're allowing to flow. Um. And um, particularly if you've got the everyday connection going on, because and your soul, you're ensouling your 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 body, because you know your soul's crazy enough to just go, wow. I wonder what happens if we don't sleep for two days. Let's check it out. That, well, that, I was just I was you know, curious if it had anything to do with that weird phenomenon that where when you know you have to get up early, it's really hard to get sleep. 
Yeah. And I'm just wondering if it's the same reverse psychology, you know, during the day. I have to go to sleep, so. So at night, you know you have to go to sleep eventually, so that coffee is going to really wake you up. Yeah. Even though you don't need it to wake you up for five hours, it's going to last for five hours, whereas if you have it in the morning, it's only lasting for like 15 minutes. That's long enough to get your ass in the car and get another coffee. I think it's... (laughs) I think it's simple. We're freedom-seeking beings, so anything remotely resembling a rule tends to draw opposite behavior out of us because, you know, like the song says, baby, don't fence me in. Uh, I'm just curious. I think it'd be an interesting interesting study because I know I'm not the only one who's had that happen. I've had people mention it to me. Oh, yeah. It's a very and common, very common all, thing. It's very annoying. Yeah, yeah, well... It just is. I, I don't know. But I'm sure, I would imagine somebody's probably done a study on it. I mean, they've put people in caves underground and not let them know what time it is to see how long they sleep and how long their day is. And I think that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Did they really? But Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, so the human body's circadian rhythm is actually 27.32 hours. No, that guy's circadian rhythm is 27.32 hours. Yeah. Uh, but isn't the body's natural rhythm connected to the sun? Yeah, it is. It is. Because you think of people who live in time I, zones where the sun does weird things, like go down at 4.30 at night, um, and come up at 7.30 in the morning at some parts of the year and then goes down at 10.30 at night and comes up at 4.30 in the morning at other parts of the year. And if you were left alone to your own devices, as some of us artists often are, um, for short periods of time at least, where you could just wake up and go to sleep whenever you wanted and work during your waking hours, you would naturally wake up with the sun. Well, I tell you, I, I worked two summers on my brother-in-law's farm up in Kansas in the little tiny town, right outside the little tiny town of Liberal where I was born. And um, rarely have I gotten up so early or gone to bed so early. But we just had a tendency. That's We had a tendency to follow the sunlight more than anything else. I watched the sun come up every morning, and I was in bed not too long after it went down in the evenings. It just was the way it was. And, of course, it was summer. The days were long, but... Not long like they are in Canada, but um, um, it it's a very healthy way of of, of life. But uh, you know, we have appointments and schedules to keep. We, we don't have time for all that resting and taking care of ourselves or anything type stuff. <laughs> um, it's also been proven that the siesta is a natural um, is a natural human state as well. That it goes back to our hunting and gathering days when the hottest part of the day was just an insane time to be up. Only the hungriest of lions would ever be out prowling around at that time of day looking for food. All the rest of them are under a tree sleeping somewhere in the shade. And it just is, you know. And, And I know it's been proven that the 
the ionic mix in the air at night is good for us if we don't get enough of it. And so not having any activity in the dark in the middle of the night is not really physically very good for us. So this enforced schedule and enforced eating routine are not really that healthy. They're just not. But the factories don't work right if you don't stick to a schedule and eat at a certain time and get up at a certain time and go to bed at a certain time. And yeah, I, it's not a, it's even... not really necessarily the case that it's some big conspiracy by these cables, oh cabals or whatever. It's just the way. No, they don't know any better. Just grew that way. It just happened. It, it it evolved into that before anybody knew that it could be detrimental to the health. And then the systems in place. And and how do you alter a system that's that vast? Sometimes and that needs to fall apart a little bit to motivate. So I mean, it's not it's not a massive conspiracy to dumb down the human race. It's just a, oops, screwed that one up. It was at the time. It just uh, <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, you know, like and thank God for the Spanish for hanging on to that siesta. Man, like, for making us revisit that one. Yeah. Scientifically. And and the sad part is they're kind of starting to get away from it over. Spain, so we're going to have to bring it back. I'm bringing nap time back. I mean, sexy back. I mean, nap time back. Um, okay, so as one of the co- as one of the co-hosts of the show, we got about 15 minutes left, and as one of the co-hosts of the show, I'm going to pull co-host privilege and, and borrow you about five to ten minutes. Well, I'm not ever going to give it back, so I guess I'm not borrowing it. I'm just going to steal it. I'm just going to take it because I want it. Um because there's two things that I'd like to cover briefly. It's Thanksgiving week here in the United States. I know it's not everywhere else. Um, Some places, perhaps, but I was talking about this with somebody, and and they brought up England, and I was like, yeah, no. Thanksgiving for, you know, just new people in America, and I know. And, And, of course, it's really just a modification of a harvest festival. But even that was a time for giving thanks for the bountiful harvest. And um, so I want to briefly give some thanks, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about my plans for holiday giving. Um, I intended on a couple of occasions, and Gene will tell you this is true, to talk about my dad a little bit more than the offhanded comments that I make here and there. My dad was indeed a corporate executive uh, and still a died-in-the-wool Republican. He and I disagree about a few things. But when he was a chief executive of his company, he turned down a number of raises that the board of directors tried to give him based on the way they do that executive compensation thing. They hire a company, it goes and finds out what a bunch of other executives make, and then comes back and says, okay, here's what you got to pay these people to keep them from quitting and going to the company next door where they can make more money. And my father, it's traditional, and boards of directors, the chairman of the board of directors is asked to leave the room so that the rest of the board might discuss a sensitive issue. That means they're going to talk about giving you a raise, and they want you to leave out of modesty. And my father would, every time, 
He said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm chairman of this board of directors. If you've got something to discuss, you can't discuss in front of me, and it's not an investigation of me, then we got a problem. And, well, uh, Mr. O'Shields, we were going to talk about your compensation. Oh, no, nah, you're not going to talk about my compensation. You pay me more than I'm worth already. No one man can be worth that much money to a corporation. And so, you know, my dad made quite a bit of money, lived very well, but never quite had the money of the Mitt Romneys and the some of them because he just told them no. He just said no. You could, you, that's ridiculous. I'm not worth that. There's no way I could be worth that much to the company. And it's really quite the revolutionary act when you're faced with a whole board of directors and then this executive compensation firm that has prestigious reputation and la-di-da to tell them all that they're just cracked in the head. But that's what he did because that's what he felt. Because that's what he knew inside was true. He said, there's just no way I'm worth that much to this company. Can't be so. So you can't pay me that much. So he didn't let him. And, however, while he was chief executive officer of the company, which he was president and CEO for a while, and then chairman and CEO for a good while, the company paid a dividend every year, and they raised it like all but one of those years. When my father retired, a man that was older than him took over. Uh, he was paid based on, you know, the executive compensation firm's researches and things. And and he bought another company uh, on the advice of his financial department who gave him projections of, you know, if we do this, this, and this for cost savings, then it'll just really be a cool deal and we'll make lots of money. Well, he never asked anybody in the operations department whether those cost savings were even realistic. It was just a bunch of accountants. Accountants just know math. They don't know your business. You, you really almost kind of don't want them to know your business real well because you just want them to do the numbers. You don't want them to be biased. So he bought the, this other company, and it turns out they paid way too much for it and that there was no physical way to cut operations that much and still function. And anybody in the operations department could have told him that. But... He didn't ask them because he was also a finance guy in college. So numbers were his thing. My father was a roughneck when he was in college, working on a rig, learning how oil works, and learning how people that go out and find it work. And um, so sure enough, they hired my dad out of retirement and and said, you know, we're in a bind because suddenly the guy that replaced him had to quit because his doctor said he had stress and couldn't work for a year. <clears throat> stress. Yeah, if I cratered a company, a, a large multinational corporation, I'd probably have some stress in my life too. Namely, the people that are trying to kick my butt for losing their money. But anyway, so Dad went back in, 
restructured some things. He got with the guys in the operations department. What can we make work? What can we not make work? And it all made sense to him because he'd been every, he'd worked almost every job from the bottom of the totem pole to the top. And they put it back together and they, they tried to pay my dad based on the executive compensation stuff that they paid the other guy on and said, no, I'm still not worth that much money, and neither was he. And made him keep about half of it that they wanted to give him. And I guess my point in that is that light workers, way showers, uh, fans of love and the coming new age of Aquarius, where we all sing Earth Prayer frequently, remember that there are many, many, many people, more than the other kind, there are many, many people that don't believe anything like you, but have lived their lives in alignment. My father's beliefs, thoughts, words, and deeds were all in alignment, and they were only in alignment because he saw to it that they were. Society, including professionals and, and, and trusted advisors and that sort of thing, all told him it should be different. And he said, no, you're crazy. And, uh, you know, a couple of times there have been executives lately who have turned down their bonuses. And people have said, oh, yeah, they're doing that because they're trying to get... No, it's not necessarily because they're trying to get something. It's... It's maybe because they sat up and realized, or maybe they maybe they were the, some of the ones that always realized that it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm not worth that much. You're not going to pay me that much. If we've got that much money, give it to the employees or give it to the shareholders. Give it to somebody, but I'm not worth that much to this company. There's no way. And... We all know from looking at some of the executive compensation, like the people that get $15.7 million after quitting in disgrace over insider trading, that there's no way one man could be worth the kind of money that some people are making. Now, you invent something and you build a business and then you sell the business and it's billions and billions of dollars. You know What are you going to do about that? You invented, You created something out of nothing. And I'm not saying that there's something wrong with my dad because he didn't create something out of nothing. He actually did. He invented something, but the company he was working for kept the patent because that was the deal. And my dad did not sue them later for some of the money. You might find it hard to believe, but my father has managed to live 86 years without suing anyone. As far as I can remember, he's had two traffic tickets. And... Um, and so his beliefs, his spiritual beliefs, his political beliefs may not be in alignment with mine, but that man is living his life in alignment. I'm trying to live my life in alignment with my beliefs. So I would... Well, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Would you not say that regardless of the spiritual or the religious who has? Is he not 
living his life exactly in alignment with a lot of the stuff that we talk about. In fact, he is a perfect example of responsibility of self, which is like one of our priority topics on this show. And he has he has his own reasons why he has discovered that's the way he should live his life. And maybe their reasons don't make to somebody else. But what does it matter if it was a Christian religion, an Islam religion, a no religion, a science, a Hindu religion, if it caused you to discover that the way that you're happy and the people around you are happy is when you live your life ethically and in alignment, Why do we care what road they took to get to the, I'm going to do everything in my power to be a good person and help everybody I come across? Why do, why do you care? You know, what do, what do you care, the Occupy people or not the Occupy people? Do you really think that some of those people that tried to stay in their beach houses and lost their rear ends and couldn't get off the island and didn't have anything to eat said, oh, yeah, I don't like you hippie, occupy, lazy people. You get away from me with that hot food. Do you really think that ever happened? I'm telling you it probably didn't. Oh, every once in a while you'll find some bitter somebody. But but these examples that get held out of a corporate executive that's rotten to the core and heisted a bunch of people's money and this, that, and the other thing are almost without exception a case of a tree that had 50 apples on it having one or two bad apples on it. And um, so take time, get your focus off of whatever it is that ticks you off. Quit watching the news. Do you know why those people are news? Because there's so freaking few of them. That's why there's, that's why they're news. There's, Thousands, hundreds of thousands of business executives in Canada and the United States combined. And a few times a year, there will be headlines about some idiot who tried to screw some company over so that he could buy a bigger house. Yeah. And, and it's news because it's rare. And that's what people don't seem to understand. They don't seem to quite grasp this idea that we hear about it because it, compared to the numbers of people out there who are like your dad, who do live their lives in alignment with their morals and their ethics, who do understand compassion, who do understand the need for sharing and responsibility. If you compare the numbers... It was one of the reasons I used to enjoy so much having that profile picture up where I was wearing a blue suit with a bright red tie. There's more than one light worker that would not be my friend because I looked like that on my profile picture. Now, there's some, like Bill, who who was suspicious of me because of that picture, but he took the time to find out about me and decided he really liked me. And I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm not. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Let's just, you know, I got two ex-wives. It'll explain it to you. 
but it is it it it, it does no good whether you think you're on the side of right or not, to lump a bunch of people together and off with their heads. Anybody anybody that wants to just round up, let's find everybody that's a CEO and we're going to just shoot them all. That's not it, people. That's not it. And and the truth of the matter is that the, the ones that are in there fraudulently taking money to maintain some kind of lifestyle are desperately trying to find acceptance and have forgotten that they have to find that inside themselves and can't find it somewhere else. And so they need our compassion and perhaps a little nudge, but not, you know, except in extreme cases, a swift boot to the rear. Uh, you know, I'm I'm going to end up going over just a couple of minutes on, on a show where we didn't have a guest. But, uh, you can't fight hate with hate. It just Colors doesn't work. Do it. it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work, and it, it it never has worked. It's never done any good. You look at the people that have changed the world that you might be familiar with, like Gandhi and MLK, and maybe were hated during their day, but the, the, there's no doubt that they made positive changes in society on this planet. Every last one of them had much that same message to bring of, look, you just can't, you're not going to solve hate with anger. You've got to go in with peace. And it's the reason that we remember Gandhi. Anybody remember the, 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 the person that was bombing for peace? Not so many. You know. And uh, I won't quote the sign that I posted on my wall the other day because it's got the F word in it. But, uh, but I want to, real briefly, I, I put the link up in the chat room a few minutes ago. Heifer. H-E-I-F-E-R dot org. That's heifer. That's a kind of cow. Heifer. But www.heifer.org. It's not heifer. It's heifer. But whatever you call it, I would invite any of you that are considering, in light of everything that's been going on, um, if you know somebody that was affected by any disaster anywhere, help them. But if you don't and you want to do something and you don't know what to do, you say, okay, well, I'm going to give some money to one of these places that's feeding some of these hungry people. I would invite you not to do that and instead to go see about these people over at heifer.org. What the people at Heifer do, they started out, there was only one thing you could do at Heifer. You could buy a cow, and they gave it to a family somewhere that needed it. Now you can buy flocks of chicks. A uh, bunch of chickens, uh, rabbits, goats. You can even go in for a $10 share of a goat. But 20 bucks, well, for example, $30, let's say that you're a vegan and you don't feel comfortable giving somebody a cow, uh, even though they're generally not cows for butchering, but, but you don't feel comfortable with that. Well, $30 will set a family up with a beehive, bees, and instruction on how to be a beekeeper and how to build the beehives, even though the, they receive one that's built. And just like every single gift that Heifer gives, it comes with an obligation. They, they, they come without cost, but they don't come without obligation. And the obligation is that you must pass on the gift. So 
for example, one family that they set up with a hive of bees uh, was able to uh, take their child that was looking pretty sickly. And the next time, the next year, a year later, when the heifer people went back to go visit, uh, the child was rosy-cheeked and running around. Little honey does you good when you looking for a little nutrition but it also helped because they sold they made candles out of the beeswax they sold some of the honey so they were also able to get him some other things to eat besides honey and as beekeepers would know once a year hives tend to hatch out some new queens and they fly off and go make a new hive of their own well in the heifer program that's the pass on the gift you are taught how to just like any good beekeeper, how to locate the queens that are going to be born. And if there's you know, too many of them or whatever, you, you deal with it. Well, in this case, you take that queen and your skill of building a hive and you give them to another family and you teach them how to keep bees the way you were taught how to keep bees. They went back to visit this one family that was starving to death and they're all looking healthy, and they've passed on five hives of bees to five other families. And it doesn't matter if it's a cow, it's a goat, it's chicks, it's ducks, it's geese. Um, that's the deal. The cows make milk. You get the milk, and you have to take the first healthy calf and give it to another family so that they can do the same thing. Now, after that, after you've done that, if you want to butcher the cow, you can, but most of them don't because they generally end up with enough to feed their family and to have some left over to sell. It's a, it's a, it, it's a way that these people are taught to fish instead of given a fish. It's a way that these people can rise up from hunger and poverty with dignity. And again, I don't think they're being taught to fish. I think through the act of teaching them the joy of passing on that gift, they're being taught to love fishing. That's right. And it And that's how you make a fisherman out of somebody. You don't just give them a rod and teach them how to do it. And you don't just give them a cow for free. You give them a cow that comes with an obligation that they must pay back, and you check up to make sure they have paid back so they have their dignity intact. They earned it. They did it. They brought themselves up out of this mess. And they're just really, you know, ten bucks to buy a share of one of these animals. Uh, I think twenty bucks gets uh, a, a group of chicks so that they can set up, you know, house hen house keeping chickens. Uh, again, in all these cases, they're trained how to care for the animals, how to see to it that it goes on generation to generation of animals and generation to generation of family and passes it on to other families. It is just... <sighs> Will it one day get so big that it's paralyzed? Maybe. I don't know. But they work with individuals on the ground in the countries where they're working. They don't just go in and say, look, this is how it is. And and they only work with people that are willing to help themselves. Somebody that just wants some food and won't do anything, even after you do for them first for free, doesn't get the help. So um, 
But they see their neighbor get the help, and then they learn, maybe, that loving giving is a grand love indeed. So, you know, hey, ten bucks, you can buy a share of one of these animals. <coughs> and, uh, you know, forego a couple of coffees, or, you know, I'd be willing to forego lunch one day to get the feeling Gene was talking about earlier of knowing that these, and I don't have to get a letter from my uh, adopted child or whatever. That, I, I, don't, I, I know from the work this organization does, there's videos all over the place of families that they've helped. Um, and it is a lasting gift that gives and multiplies and gives again and multiplies again and gives again doesn't take long to make a wave of giving go across one of these developing nations when you do stuff like that. And we could use a few waves of giving. And I don't... Just giving. Just emanating. But if you're going to give some money blindly to feed some people, see about this. It's, I think a grand option that does not leave them hungry again tomorrow. And that's something we can all be thankful for. Absolutely. So, Thursday night, which is Thanksgiving night here in the United States, we will indeed be on the air. As we've mentioned earlier, we're going to take Christmas off. We're going to take Christmas Day, New Year's Day, and the 27th that's in between off. But U.S. Thanksgiving Day, when it's not in Canada and not in the U.K., uh, <clears throat> David Cole will be here to talk about his new book that should be coming out within the next uh, week or two. But he's got information on the publisher and all that good stuff. And besides, we just love having David around. David's cool. And I have, he is I have, definitely one of my all-time favorite guests. I think he'll probably uh, probably be there. Hopefully, he will be well. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and we can move along with all this good stuff. Anyway, um, think about your gift giving, and um, and if they, if you've got ten bucks left over, send it to Heifer. Tell them you want to be part of a cow or you want to be part of a goat or you get to pick, you know. You don't like cows? Okay. Goats? Whatever. Geese? You know, whatever. Maybe you don't like birds. I don't know what's your deal. Do the beehive thing if you're vegan. All righty. Thursday night, David Cole. And until then... Stay connected. Good night, everybody. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Think you might miss an episode? No problem. Subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your everyday connection.
So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.